Thanks for joining us, everyone, for season two of the Hospitality Hangout. There's a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders at Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry you love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my friend and partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that introduction, Jimmy. And to those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Thank you, Shatsy. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to let everyone know uh, that at the end of the show, we'll have a special invitation to share with our audience, courtesy of our guest today. We think you're all going to like it, so stay tuned for that. Uh, today, we are very excited uh, to introduce our guest and our good friend, Mr. Andrew Smith. He's the manager director of the Savory Fund. Andrew is an industry expert that has successfully merged his background in hospitality operations, technology, finance, and he's a tremendous individual, and we just can't wait to get the conversation started. Andrew, we're going to let you take the lead and give us a little background on yourself, uh, the Savory Fund, and your business, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, first and foremost. And uh, this has got to be probably one of the most lively podcasts I've been on so far. So thanks for uh, for having me join you guys today. I uh, I started my uh, my career in uh, the tech industry, actually. I was in tech in uh, 1998 with my first tech business. And I built and sold three tech companies, and uh, I got into the food and beverage industry right at the perfect time, and that was 2008, right in the middle of the recession. And uh, I thought that there was a lot of opportunity when everything was down. There was opportunity to, to kind of ride the wave on the way up, and uh, that's exactly what I did. I've been in the industry for 13 years. Um, I've uh, owned and operated a little over 190 restaurants in 12 states in the U.S., and uh, about two and a half years ago, I uh, partnered with uh, the founder of Mercado Partners, Greg Warnock, which is a local uh, mountain region states kind of investment oracle. He's He's been in the VC and the PE world for about 35 uh, years. And uh, he invited me to join the Mercado Partners practice and run a food-focused fund called Savory. And the Savory Restaurant Fund was kicked off officially this year um, with a final closing of $100 million. Uh, we uh, closed $100 million. We were oversubscribed, actually, right in the middle of the pandemic as we saw a lot of opportunities, not only with our existing brands, but, of course, new brands that we see in the industry. So that's a quick recap of my background, um, what I've done in my, my history. There's a lot to it, but uh, either way, I've been in the industry 13 years, and I'm having just one hell of a ride. That is great. And Andrew, thank you. And, and we're going to jump into uh, kind of our discussion, but I already love, uh, I'm, I'm getting a, a Warren Buffett kind of sense here. You uh, you jumped into uh, the, the venues uh, at, at, at the start of the Great Recession, uh, and then in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a global pandemic, uh, you're launching your first fund. So truly, when others are fearful, uh, you are um, respectfully and, and properly uh, greedy. I don't want to say just greedy, but, but congrats on both those things. Uh, we, we respect that completely. Listen, and we're going to kick us off with a, with a little open, a little uh, Q and A. Yeah, let me know um, how I could jump in there, Jimbo. <laughs> Sorry, Chancy. <laughs> I'm going to. You know what? You, you when you're right, you're right. So how about you kick off our Q and A? Let's do a little Q and A with uh, Andrew. You know, we flew out and uh, we hung with Andrew and his team. Oh boy, I, this COVID thing has really sent me spinning. I don't remember when it was. It seems like years ago, but it feels like years ago. It was a week ago, Chancy. Yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. week ago. ago. <laughs> and and to be honest with you, Andrew, you really probably would need an hour to to give uh, a little bit about your background because it really is interesting and it really is cool and you did like you mentioned um, sell a bunch of companies and 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 it's it's incredible what you've accomplished you certainly are a jack of all trades you're a finance guy you're a tech guy you're a 
you're a, you know, a restaurant guy, you, you really have done it all. So talk a little bit to our listeners a little bit. How did you transition from a tech operator to managing a fund and then going into restaurants? I t- you touched brief- briefly on it, but a little bit more in depth. And then can you share a little bit to the listeners about some of your marquee brands that you've, uh, that you've launched and are c- currently running? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the tech industry is really romanticized, similar to the food and beverage industry. I think everybody that that looks when you're a younger entrepreneur or want to start a business, you look at the tech industry and say, well, geez, if I could come up with an app or a cool software or piece of technology, I can be a multi-billionaire. Even if I don't make any money, I can be a multi-billionaire if I hit it right. And, you know, I, I think I was caught in that same thing when I was in my early 20s and I went down that road and had a really good career in technology. But the thing about tech is that it's so cyclical. It was tiring riding the waves of the market up and down. When the market is up, tech is up. When it's down, for the most part, tech is down. And so it's not as sticky as, as much as you would think. Um, usually businesses would look at their tech stack and they'll start cutting things that they don't think are the most necessary, like maybe, maybe their accounting software. Mm-hmm. The industry that I was in in tech, it, it taught me a ton. It taught me how to think um, things out with the end in mind. Um, you know, you have to architect and develop a piece of software on paper in your mind before you start coding. If you have your developer start without the end in mind, you're going to really end up with a pretty interesting software at the end, but not what you originally had in mind. So it really taught me how to architect, process a lot of information, develop a solution to systemic problems. And I, I think that you guys would both agree that the F&B world has a lot of systemic problems every year that we have to figure out. So it was really perfect for my mind to kind of think through. In my mind, F&B is much more shock resistant. For the most part, I like the stability of the clientele. They all have to eat out three squares a day, as we know. No matter what is happening in the world, you just can't tell 8 billion people not to be hungry because of the market swing or even a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really liked about the industry and getting into the industry. And when I got in in 2008, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily this guy, but I, I do kind of see a fire and I'm okay just running into the fire and trying to figure out when I'm in the fire how to stay cool. Um, and so that's just my personality. And so it made most sense when I jumped into the industry in 2008. I saw opportunity and I wanted to jump in and see if I could fix some, some of it. Um, you, you asked about some of our brands, you know, you yeah. fast forward, I, I've done several brands from uh, a bakery and cafe concept that I built, you know, unit one all the way to unit 50 um, mm-hmm. within a six states territory. Uh, we ended up selling that we, we were in 72 uh, pizza joints down in the southeast, sold those. And now we have a, a really diverse portfolio. We have R&R barbecue, which is a Rocky Mountain barbecue concept. Um, we have Mobetas, which is a it's an unbelievable concept. Um, dry rub barbecue with four options of sauces. Mobetas, which is a Hawaiian concept that was started by two brothers from the island. Um, it was really coined after the plate meal that is iconic in Hawaii. And then Swig, which Jimmy is and I had lunch there. We incredible, right? I mean, super simple, but just authentic Hawaiian. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It. It. And the sauces they give you are great. Unbelievable. Super tasty. I don't under you know, when I stood at the core, you know, the curb looking at that brand initially, I'm like, how in the hell are they doing that much revenue in that shop? And it's just because they get people in and out of there and people love the value that they get for their money and the flavor. So it's really a cool brand. Um, Swig, which is happiness in a cup. It's a it's customizable beverages and sweets uh, concept, and it's just it is taking the world by storm right now. You would not believe it. Um, one of the highest um, same-store sales growth stories, even in the middle of the pandemic, I think that I've heard in the industry. And then we just finished acquisitions of two brands, one in Southern California called The Crack Shack. It's uh, an inspired Southern California better chicken concept with a kind of a polished casual <laughs> experiential component to it. And then uh, my last Very one, which cool. is 
Yeah, it's a very cool concept. It's very iconic, especially in Southern California, and we're excited about bringing that out of California. The name, I think, is just awesome. I mean, there's so much to to work with. Well, it's fun too, Shatsy, because when people say, you know, when they say, well, what is that? Or, or they say, well, what concepts do you have? And we say the crack shack. <laughs> you always get kind of that 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 face like, what the hell? And I'm like, well, yeah, we, you know, we, we sell methamphetamines and we also sell some chicken there too. So. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who doesn't like that combination, right? Yeah. Um, but it really is, it really is a chicken on crack for sure. But, Mm -hmm. um, and then we just bought the number one pizzeria coined in August this year called via 313. It's a Detroit style, uh, concept out of, uh, Austin, Texas, which is just an unbelievable concept started by two iconic brothers from Detroit and really built around that nostalgic, casual dining experience that we all grew up around. So, um, we're super excited. It's very diverse portfolio as you can hear. And, uh, every one of them growing just beyond our expectations. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I, I love the way you guys get involved with, with entrepreneurs and, 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 take, and work with founders and, and really scale up uh, their business and truly act as a partner. It, it's really an incredible story that you guys continue uh, to demonstrate. Um, but now from, you know, from one finance guy to another, um, raising money, fundraising is, is never easy. Um, and certainly in the midst of a pandemic um, uh, where travel was probably somewhat suspended or limited, you still managed to uh, be oversubscribed on your first fund. Can you share uh, a little bit about your experience and what that was like, um, you know, over the last, uh, you know, X months or even a year or so uh, to pull together this first fund and bring it to a successful close in the midst again of, of a global pandemic? Yeah, you know, we we set out to raise $100 million about a year and a half ago. And when Greg and I kicked it off, we thought, well, this is going to be a cinch, right? You got his background and his experience being in private equity for 30 plus years with a very successful firm or Cuddle Partners that has just recently had two over billion dollar um, sales of uh, some of their portfolio companies. So just a really great firm. And we thought we'd go out as Mercado Partners with my uh, my team and our operational prowess within the uh, industry. And that we would go out, and we would just raise it like in 30, 60 days. Well, little did we find that there's a lot of people that are still out there that are really giving this industry an undeserved um, uh, reputation in their mind. And that is super, super risky. There's no way to make money. The operating margins are too thin. They're razor thin. They're, it's, it's too saturated. It's too, it's too competitive. And I thought to myself, well, I was in tech. It was the same thing. And the thing is about that is you don't make money for the first several years. And so for us, we... Uh, we really felt like we had something that was going to be unique and tell investors. After 500 plus meetings, we found out quickly that people are uncomfortable with the industry. And until we prove um, this strategy of savory and what we can do with our operational prowess and our institutional backing of, of, uh, of a firm like or a, uh, of a fund like this, that we would really not get the support like we thought. So it took us about a year to get the first 40 to 50 million raised. Crazy thing is, is the pandemic hit us at the beginning of the year here in 2020, and literally people have come running to us saying, you know what, this is an industry that we feel that there's going to be a huge comeback, and we're very interested, and we were able to raise and top off the fund at about $114 million, which we decided to go ahead and hard cap it at $100 million, um, and we're already hard at work. We've already uh, allocated a little over $40 million of that to uh, brands that we've purchased and allocated for growth and have several brands that are in the queue or in the pipeline right now. Thanks for all that, Andrew. You know, you mentioned uh, a couple of brands that you just purchased, um, the Crack Shack, the, uh, the incredible pizza place from Detroit that I guess is, uh, is uh, in Austin, 
Um, what kind of things are you looking for? Tell our listeners, what are you looking for? Is it a one unit? Is it 10 units? Is it uh, demographics? Is it region? Is it the operator? I mean, obviously the food's got to taste good, but what kind of things are you looking for that gets you interested in why you want to uh, acquire the brand? And then, and then what's the strategy there? You know, it's a really good question because I get asked that almost daily. It, it's, it's really good on one side, Jimmy, because we, we have had over 400 restaurant concepts come through our front door. And when I say that through the front door through Zoom, because <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic, but they have come to us saying we would really like to grow a scale. We need capital to, to do so. But the thing is, is that we've looked at a lot of them and they just don't have certain things that we look for on every brand that we have acquired today. And that is each brand that we currently have in the portfolio has a personality to it, right? And so we're looking for brands that have a personality, not just this is a really good flavor profile and we do it really right and, and, and the customers are happy, but we're really looking for someone that has a personality, has a little bit of an irreverence to it. And the other thing is, is that you're looking for a brand that really has that cult following. We always talk about of creating a cult following behind your brand is one of the best things you can do. And you know, we saw that with Chipotle, we've seen that with Shake Shack. We're looking for cult following concepts, and that's what we, uh, we we've loved. And beloved brands that a community that they serve have have spoken. Greg and I always talk uh, that we look at empirical data when a customer or a customer base has spoken. And when you have that data from you know from the Google reviews and the Yelp and from consumers in the area and data analytics that they've pulled, we like to look at that data to say what do the customers think about you now in year five or year ten. And if they continue to grow and continue to build that cult following, that's something that we say, you can't just create that in a lab and open up a restaurant and have that. It takes a long time to create that. So we're looking for the it factor, which uh, nobody can really put their hand on or finger on, but you can see it and you can feel it and you can research that when you do that due diligence. That's it's really that's, hard to nail and scale that, but it's out there. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So it kind of dovetails into my next question. I was just wondering, so obviously the food has to be good and you're looking for uh, you know uh, something that's really got some buzz out there. So I know in, in, in like real estate, a lot of people are using a lot of interesting technology to find out where they're going to put their next building based on uh, – you know, all different traffic patterns and flows and demographics and, and, and uh, you know, medium incomes and this and that. Are you using technology to kind of figure out, I mean, it's, it's social media, but what other tech, if any, are you using to make decisions on, A, where, what kind of brands you're going to look for or where are the brands coming from or where are you going to be putting the next units that you're opening? Is there some tech that you're using to help you make those decisions? Yeah, we created a partnership earlier this year with a company called SiteZeus. And, you know, we've been watching the industry for a long time. There's been a lot of companies that have kind of come in and out. And that happens with tech. And I understand that it has a lot to do with, you know, how good their technology is, if they can get consumers on it, and if they can continue to raise money until they hit profitability. SiteZeus is one that we felt uh, was the one that kind of met the mark for us. And they've been fantastic. The, the analytics that they provide us um, the customer drive patterns where they trade their dollars on discretionary spend um, is a site evaluatable. At the end of the day, that that technology has been helping us probably the most of any technology I've seen so far. But you know, the one that is interesting is is partnerships that use their tech as well that we can get access to. So, for instance, growing uh, the Swig brand, going to our partners at Coke National and going to Dr Pepper and going to Pepsi that we serve all of those you know within our stores. 
and saying, can you provide us your data from your analytics in each of the markets and tell us where is the highest beverage consumption in the U.S. comparative to where we are now? And let's let's cross-reference that with, with how we're doing here. And just leveraging partnership and their data to analyze that data um, has been a, a godsend for us. So so between us, I think that you know using site zoos for for site locations and then of course agents and their tech that they use in those locations as well, but also just using partnerships and their technology has been really really good. Also loyalty systems, you know we use Thanks right now with our with our different companies. We've been really pleased with them. They provide a lot of data for us as well, knowing where uh, customers are super loyal and you can kind of find those cult followings. And we also find other brands through partnerships like that. Um, and then also Restaurant Revolution Technologies. We've been using them for years. They've been fantastic for us um, and also identifying new markets as well. Thanks, Andrew. You know, you, you highlighted that COVID um, actually seemed to become a, uh, a real ex- accelerator uh, for your own funds. Um, people realizing uh, the industry was going through a disruption and, and people trusting you with their, with their capital to deploy it uh, responsibly and intelligently. Um, in, in terms of the, the crisis, um, what measures, um, you know, have you put in place, um, you know, uh, from previous conversations, you know, you guys have been really active um, and really helpful to your community. Um, and I know the relief packs that you guys um, initiated was incredible. Um, but, you know, whether it's in the boardroom or simply in the room where it happens, you know, how did you guys transition your operations when the pandemic first hit? And, and again, you really did deliver, uh, pun was not intended, for not only your team uh, and your stores, uh, but then also for your community. But can you share some of the initiatives you took uh, when COVID really hit home? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, we we learned also from watching others. I think that this is an an experience and an environment that none of us have ever seen and hopefully we'll never see again. Although I think we've all been battle tested for this if it happens again in the future. Um, It looks like a lot of states are kind of reverting back to where we were back in April, May this year, which is a little scary. But at the same time, we're ready for that. I think most of us that have survived that first go round, I think that we're going to be better prepared for this go round. But, you know, during that time, when we sat in our boardroom, uh, myself, Greg, and then our savory management team, which is our 50-person team of, you know, veteran army men to, to go out and help our brands, we, we sat there and said, okay, this is what's happening to us. Now, what do we do to respond to it? And the thing that we wanted to really take care of was first, our employees. We wanted to keep them working. We wanted to keep them safe. We wanted to keep them getting paid. Um, but we also wanted to take care of our guests, our consum- our customers, make sure that they were safe, that they felt safe, but we kept them um, with the opportunity to, to pick up their food in a safe way. When we, when we had that kind of at the, the forefront of our minds, we put together this, this pack um, uh, community called Relief Packs, and we, we set it up a 501c3 in three days. And we put together a website, and we had donors that wanted to buy meals for even their employees to furloughed employees or even those that they had to cut. And then we also, of course, took care of first responders like a lot of our counterparts and a lot of the different markets that we all saw, which was amazing to watch. But relief packs, we literally charged uh, at cost to our customers. We didn't make one penny because it wasn't about making money. It was about taking care of each other. We charged uh, enough to just cover our cost and keep our employees working uh, for these relief packs. It would feed eight to 10 people out of each of these packs, and they were literally $25. That was it. And so that was one of the things that we did to give back. We still have those in queue ready to go if we kind of revert back to what we were back in April and May, because it really did uh, uh, make a difference. We served a little over 95,000 people in a four-month period of time, and, uh, and it's still going to this day, which has been really, really fun to watch. 
Thanks for that, Andrew. Those are really incredible, incredible ideas, incredible. I mean, I hope everybody who's listening really can take an example. You guys really lead the charge in helping others out in time of need, and it's really uh, fantastic to see. Just kind of talking a little bit, staying on the subject of COVID. Um, before COVID, you were probably working with certain tech companies, certain tech stack within your operation, and then COVID hits, and 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 you have to maybe make some pivots or changes. What kind of technology are you using now that you're like, I can't live without ever again? Maybe it's something you weren't using and you pivoted to. Maybe it's something you always were using but didn't realize how important it, it, it was or is. What kind of things? I know you mentioned thanks for loyalty. Is there any other uh, kind of things that you've been using that are just unbelievable? Yeah, I think that when when that happened, we we probably looked inward to figure out what tech, like I said at the beginning of this, when I was in the tech industry, a lot of tech isn't sticky. And so what we sat down and we thought, we got to cut some costs for things that are not absolutely necessary. So we actually cut some tech out and then bolstered up behind more tech. And surprisingly, during the, the COVID response for the first three, four, five months, the technologies that we felt were the most important for us was the communication technologies. We have you know, dozens and dozens of locations out in multiple markets in multiple states, and communication was key. There were things happening every hour of every day that were new, new mandates from health departments and new mandates from cities and the CDC. Because of that, communication was key. And what we found is that communication is always important, and to galvanize this team which is what I saw come out of this COVID response, that was the communication tools that they use between each other. We use Teams. We have had Slack in the past. We cut Slack, and we just use Teams now uh, on Microsoft. We, we oh, downloaded oh, Huge fans of Teams huge, over here, Andrew. Huge fans. Big fans yeah. of Teams. <laughs> and then the other one that is crazy is, is the, the app, which has been around forever, but is Voxer, we, where we're able to speak in groups to each other, and everybody can hear the voice fluctuations of each other's voices and tones, and you can go back and listen and you can forward messages. And that was a tech, guys, that was so simple, but used in such an unbelievable, uh, mind-bending way for our business that has really helped the team pull together. And we still use it to this day more than we ever did pre-pandemic. So it doesn't really matter you know, what the tech is. It's how well you use the tech. As you guys know, you can have all the tech in the world, but if you're yep. not using it, it's not effective, crap in, crap out. We're using some so of them right. more often than less. And I think that that's what's really helped us. I think any tech that um, has the branded team hear my voice more will be rejected outright um, um, by unanimous. Probably. Probably. By probably. unanimous <laughs> consent would be absolutely denied. Um, Andrew, uh, last question in the Q&A, and, we'll, and then we'll move on from here. But I want to bring it uh, kind of full circle. Uh, you talked about, um, you know, um, your, your, your fundraise, you talked about closing your fund, you were oversubscribed, you closed at a hundred million. What's next in terms of, you know, in terms of your expansion, you've already deployed, I guess, up at over 40 million. The space is really transforming and you got your pulse on it. What are you gearing up in terms of for 21, uh, for the, the year ahead in terms of fundraising and your goals, uh, if you can share? Yeah, the goals right now, we are looking at some food tech. We're also looking for some food, uh, food delivery companies as well. We think that that's a market that's very interesting to us and is growing. You guys just saw the, the, the transaction happen between Nestle and Freshly. I think that it's a very uh, big indication that that's, that's a market mm -hmm. segment that's going to continue to grow, and we believe so as well. We believe three more brands in our portfolio with this fund makes sense. And then, of course, to allocate the rest of the fund towards expansion capital. Which really brings us to 2021, having most likely eight brands in the portfolio of Savory Fund One, 
We are just in the, the throes of closing a $50 million real estate fund for Savory, which is going to be used to buy and build all the real estate for our Savory brands. Um, so we're just closing on that right now. And then we will be out uh, in fall of 2021 to raise a concurrent $100 million fund. And we have the majority of our investors that have uh, mentioned that they'd like to join us on fund two because we actually have one of the best performing funds that they've been in so far. So things are going really, really well for us. Well, so basically you're sitting back and you're, you're not doing very much. Got it. I hear you. Not, not I hear much you. at all. Yep. Not much Taking at all. it easy. Yep. <laughs> Keeping it, taking it, taking it nice and slow. I hear you, man. Hey, we're going to move to our next section. We call it our crystal ball moment. In all truthfulness, we inadvertently came up with this when we put somebody on the spot uh, and, and he seemed to like it and our listeners seemed to like it. So now we call it our crystal ball moment because we're going to ask you something. And, and while we like to tell you we're not putting you on the spot, we are absolutely putting you on the spot. In two years from now, how do you see restaurants uh, the dining experience uh, as you think about finance, tech, and just overall hospitality. But two years out, uh, what do you think we're going to be seeing uh, across these different verticals? Again, finance, tech, and hospitality in general. So this is what I'm going to tell you in, in more of maybe a story format. And when I say story format, very, very quickly. My imagination it kind of runs wild with what I think the future is going to become now because we've gone through this pandemic and this even pre-pandemic, the time that it was an oversaturated market, people were just throwing up stores just to throw them up and get unit count, but they really didn't have a good infrastructure, a good foundation that they were building upon. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of those restaurant brands that were kind of hanging on by their nail tips anyway, I think that those are the ones that we're seeing shutter because they just didn't have a good foundation. So I think moving forward, I think we're going to see companies with better foundations, better tech stack, um, more of a touchless uh, a system that we're all in right now and going to. I think that the world of tech is going to be revolutionary in this industry to where um, the experiences that we're having today are going to be completely different in the future. We're, we're going to be able to go in and sit down at a table and have it bump to the kitchen and have the kitchen bring out my hot meal and not really have to have as much interaction with people or the, the, the payment interaction. I think that's all going to completely go away here in the next couple of years. But I will say this, though, with with even food quality, um, having kind of a revolution of better quality ingredients and more flavor and even more foreign flavors come in into the U.S., which have been very, very popular in the last few years. I think that's going to continue. Mm -hmm. But I will say this on the experience side. I believe that we are human creatures and that we're social creatures. And even though we can get on this call and do a podcast or we can do Zoom meetings until we're all dead, it's not something that we all enjoy. We're doing it because it's functional. But I believe, mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy and Shatsi, if we could sit down across the table and have a meal, break bread, and talk about this, we would prefer that always over doing any of this technology stuff. You're making so me I crazy believe, right now. That's what yeah, I'm yearning for. It's making everybody crazy. And so I believe that we all <laughs> want to get back to that. And I actually think in two years, I think this market's going to be thriving more so than it ever has because it always does. If you go, go back in 2008, 2009, it was awful. Mm -hmm. Although between 2009 and 2013, guys, those were my best years of my first kind of chapter in the food and beverage industry. Mm -hmm. It was thriving. Things were exciting. People forgot about the recession. They forgot about them losing their homes or their retirement. They were back enjoying in a restaurant, breaking bread with their friends and family and loved ones and business partners across the table and having that experience. And I believe we're going back to that. That's great. I mean, it seems like, uh, not seems, I know you're super optimistic. You're a super optimistic guy. And uh, what you're saying is that it seems to me that, look, we, we probably, a few operators, a bunch of operators got crushed by this. They probably, we like to say there are some operators that were probably 
going out of business anyway. It was just prolonging it. And I think uh, COVID just sped that up. On the same token, I think on the technology side, we believe that everything you just mentioned was going to happen anyway. It just happened a lot quicker. I mean, everybody knew that paying with your phone was coming and it's just uh, and people are embracing it. And so uh, it, it's it's great to see and it's great to to hear you feel the way we feel about uh, the industry. Um, well, and Shanti, if I can just add to that real quick, yeah, though, I, I don't sure. think that us feeling that way, right, is is necessarily a negative. We're not saying well, you guys were bad operators necessarily. The problem is, is the industry grew through a bunch of silent kind of hands-off operators, as we know. The franchise world was exploding. People thought, oh, that looks a lot of fun, like a lot of fun. I'm going to throw some money. I'm going to hire a manager. And I'm going to run my restaurant. I think what we're going to see moving forward is people realizing you can't have 10 irons in the fire and be good at all of them. You right. actually actually go get one or two irons and really focus on them. And this is not an industry where you can just stoke up another fire, stick a cue in it, and, and expect that poker to get white hot and not pay attention to it. You have to pay attention to this industry. And if you do, it's a phenomenal industry to be in. Agreed. I would, I would compare it a little bit to, I just remember in New York city and again, nothing bad about the gap or, or any of those brands, but I mean, there was a gap on every corner in Manhattan at one point. I mean, there was was just everyone. And, and you just figured it wasn't because they were doing so much business. It was just, it was real estate plays and real estate people. I'm putting up a business, a building, I'll put a gap there. And I think that kind of happened a little bit in restaurants. They're building, let's put a restaurant, let's put a restaurant. And literally, you know, you see sometimes there was a brand, the same brand was a block away and you're just cannibalizing yourself. So I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I want to pivot real quick to uh, the branded quick fire. Five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. Don't panic. Real quick, are you ready for the lightning round? Five questions. Give it to me. Give All it right. to me. In your opinion, the best food city in the world? Chicago. All right. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Um, probably China Lily. It's ch- takeout Chinese food. I haven't had it in a few weeks, so I'm going to go for it. <laughs> nice. Love it. Sounds great. This is, a, this is a big one. Beach or the mountains? Mountains, of course. I was going to say, guy from Utah. When travel <laughs> resumes, where is the first place you want to visit? Oh, shit. I just imagine in my head being in Italy again. I would love <laughs> oh, God. Italy. My wife listens to that. Jimmy. Yes. Uh, that is, Andrew, uh, that is a favorite of both mine and Shatsy and, more importantly, of our respective wives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my <laughs> wife, too. I, I tell everybody, you fall back in love every time you go to Italy with your spouse. And so go to, go to Italy at least once a year. <laughs> Agreed. Last question, and this is where it gets tricky. If you were to challenge Jimmy or I to a round of bowling, who would you have better odds of beating? Oh, for sure you, Shatsy. I, I mean, I, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, I think you seem, you seem more scrappy, and you'd probably try to cheat or something to win. So I'd take advantage of that strategy. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't want to go there. I could see a button to, like, hit my, cone, you know, my pins or whatever, and I'd be like, son of a bitch, you're – yeah, I would yeah, I would probably say you. Yeah. Andrew, can you go get me a Coke, and I'll, you know, I'll go knock some pins down or something. I always take it as a backwards compliment that when it comes to bar sports and bar – games or sports where maybe a little bit of drinking makes you 
better. People don't want to face me, Shats. <laughs> they want to go up against you. I take it as a compliment, but maybe it's a backwards comment. But either way, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Listen, Andrew, thank take you it. so much. Take it. Thank you so much for joining us today um, and sharing you guys. Uh, your experiences and what you're doing and, and, and your insights. We really do uh, appreciate uh, and value the hard work uh, that you and your entire team uh, does for the uh, for the industry. Uh, I really will say this is a group we've gotten to know, um, Andrew and his team. They have really have incredible breadth and depth um, in terms of how they run their business. Uh, and that's why we were thrilled to get Andrew to join us today. Uh, to our listeners, at the top of the show, uh, we had mentioned a, a special offer um, that we and really Andrew and his company uh, were going to give. And quite simply, um, you can have um, by, by sending a note to info at saveryfund.com, info at saveryfund.com. If you uh, send an email, you mention the podcast uh, and you're entitled to, I understand, a, a free drink or meal by sending that email. Uh, free meal or free drink uh, to the listeners info at Savory Fund, and they have some tremendous uh, stores across the country, and we think you'd really enjoy it. And thank you, Andrew, for uh, for being so generous and kind to our listeners. Um, if you want to get in touch with Andrew directly and also just kind of get in touch with the business while you have the info at Savory Fund, you can also email uh, admin at Branded Strategic, and we'd be thrilled to connect you. Do you have Andrew's cell phone, Jim, you can give out? Uh, we're, not, we're not giving that away. <laughs> we're not giving that up. But we will connect you, uh, again, with this agile and integrated platform that's doing so many great things. Things. Uh, and finally, to our listeners, we greatly appreciate you checking in always um, and participating in the podcast with us. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And the fact that you choose to hang out with us, we really do value and appreciate your loyalty. Um, check out our next podcast is coming up. Another big one, Jim. Another, Another big, big one. one. Yvonne, not uh, as big as this. Not, not as big as, as this. But Yvonne Makovic uh, is the CEO and founder of Spengo. It is a loyalty uh, platform on steroids. Uh, we're very excited to bring this hospitality tech company and its CEO to you guys and and that's coming up uh, on the next podcast and then finally if you haven't subscribed already uh, to this please do so uh, and even better yet bring a guest or a friend to hang out with us the next time so to Andrew Smith a hearty and, and truly a, appreciation to you and your team thank you for joining us today and for me Jimmy Freshling your finance guy I'm signing off I'll let Andrew do the same and Shatsy will close us out best of luck to everybody out there go crush it Thank you, Andrew, again from uh, Shatsy, the uh, restaurant guy, and all of us at the Hospitality Hangout. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. We'll catch you uh, on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.